This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of Tell Me This, and we are in our special series of a summer of coaching. Uh, For those who are listening for the first time, we usually end our season. We just ended uh, season two in May, and we usually use the summer to prep and prepare new content, find cool guests. And this year, because I've been involved in these amazing coaching classes co-taught by my next guest here, Dr. Tomlin. I'm so excited to have you here, Anton. (laughs) Oh, I'm excited to be here. I'm ready to go. Yes. Um, And so my classmates, my instructors have really inspired me to to do a summer series. And so we've done several interviews with some of my my uh, my co-students or my peers in the classes. And uh, Jen Laura was on recently. And I'm saying Dr. Tomlin because he recently defended his dissertation. And when you get that degree, I think you need to own that title for at least a while. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you. Thank you. We talked about celebrating last night, so I will lean into continuing to celebrate. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. So welcome, Anton. It is really a pleasure to have you here. So just for folks who are listening, um, Anton has earned his PhD in language, literacy, and culture from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. He has an MA in higher higher education administration from Morgan State, and he obtained his BS in psychology from Stevenson. So um, lots of knowledge to share with us, Anton. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) He is dedicated to increasing student access to and success in college, and he holds the associate certified coach the ACC credential from ICF and is excited about the possibilities that coaching creates. And I understand you're, you're getting close to the next level, right? Of certification. Yeah. 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 You, you said so last night, PCC, you're like, yeah. How many hours about, away? About 60 hours away from the 500 mark. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Mm. In addition to coaching clients, Anton trains and mentors coaches through the Anne Arundel Community College ICF accredited engagement coaching program program. And Anton truly believes that coaching changes perspectives, mindsets, and the world. And I have to say, I'm right there with you, Anton. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Um, I'll also add, Carrie, one of the things that's not in my bio and now I'm like, why is it not in there? Yeah. I'm also a graduate of the AACC Engagement Coach Program, right? That's so right. I got my training through the program <laughs> that I teach in. That's right. Were you in one of the first classes or what? Yeah, what? so I was, uh, whew, Community four, 
Okay. Wow. That's crazy. And how many communities, how many communities are there now? 14. 14. Okay. So you really were one of the early, early adopters. I love that. Love that. Love that. So, so speaking of early adopters, I would love Anton to hear, because I don't know that we talked about this in classes in our coaching. What was your first experience with coaching, whether it was informal or formal? Yeah. Um, So I, for a long time, wanted to be a coach. I wanted to be a life Mm. coach and I just never had the opportunity and maybe also never really thinking about what are the steps that it would take to become a coach. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have all different types of coaches. Some coaches have a formal training like we do and some coaches just coin themselves or term themselves life coaches. And that's great too, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely wanted a formal training. And so when I started as full-time faculty at Anne Arundel Community College, I remember we had a um, college-wide faculty meeting and a faculty forum Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a time in the beginning of the the semester for all of us to come together, hear all the updates, right? This was way before COVID. Um, And it was nice. And so if you had anything that you wanted to share, you could get up, go to the microphone and share with all of us as a, you know, a college. And I'll never forget this woman gets up and starts <laughs> talking about coaching. She starts crying. And I'm like, all of the coaches are cheering her on. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Little did I know that woman was Jen Laura. <laughs> we met shortly after that. Um, she founded, co-founded our engagement coach program at ACC. Mm-hmm. And she's an amazing colleague, but she's become really like of my work best friend, right? So we teach together now. And so that was my first experience of, what a minute, what are they drinking? And I need to figure it out. Um, (laughs) So of course she was getting up to share that a new community was starting and she was looking for any faculty who would be interested in going through this coaching journey and experience and being trained as a coach. Um, So I reached out, we had some communication. I applied because at ACC, if you were internal, so many people wanted to do it that you had to apply. Um, So I applied and got accepted to the community. And that was my first real experience of what is coaching. So I showed up um, and back then we used to do three-day format. So it would be like a um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all day, right? Um, So I showed up on the first day and absolutely fell in love with it. So that's my first experience of coaching. And then Jen has been stuck with me ever since. (laughs) (laughs) I love that story. That is so, I can see Jen standing up in that, um, in the, probably the same auditorium that I remember being in with everybody. And that's, that's such a great, great story. Um, so Anton, you mentioned in your sort of sharing there, you know, you said the term life coach, you also acknowledged that some people sort of just, they don't need the formal training or don't want it. They sort of just embody sort of, you know, they show up coach-like, right? We've talked about that. And so I'm wondering, and, and what I've heard from other folks that I've interviewed, you know, Alex started out doing health. Um, Erica really wants to get into programs with kids. Shannon Fleischman is doing things at community um, at, Co- at Chesapeake College with, you know, higher ed. And so I just want to be clear for our audience, like when you talk about coaching, what does that term mean for you or to you? 
Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. Mm -hmm. um, so our program at ACC um, is life and engagement coaching, right? Mm -hmm. And so I really took that to heart. So I didn't, after I finished the program, I didn't say, well, I want to work with this specific population or I want this to be my niche. And so um, even now with clients, when they say, well, what's your specialty? Right. I'm like, well, I was trained as a life and engagement coach. Right. And so I really do believe that my training from AACC has prepared me to coach any topic on the planet. Right? Mm -hmm. So I don't coin myself as just a career coach or just, you know, a um, <clears throat> health and wellness coach because I can coach around many of the topics. And so I do call myself as a life and engagement coach. And for me, what that means is I show up with my skills. I get to help my clients live their most fulfilled and engaged life, mm -hmm. right? And so whatever topic they want to coach around, that's what we coach around. And I also, you know, am aware of what are some topics that maybe I'm not comfortable with or I don't have experience with because I know so many coaches we can refer out, right? So it's not that I say, well, I can coach around anything and I'm just the most awesome person because there are times where I'm like, I'm not going to be in best service to my client because, right, that is unknown territory for me. And so how do I make sure that the client gets the best support they need? Mm, that's so good. I'm curious because I asked a couple of other people this, so I'd love to, to get your take on this. You know, sometimes when we say the term life coach, Anton, we get the sort of uh, eye roll. People can't see me, but I'm rolling my eyes or like, really, is that something that somebody needs? So if you have a few minutes walking across campus, you know, on the campus at AACC with folks or you're up in an elevator, like what's your, what's your pitch for someone who really doesn't know what coaching is? What, what do you say? Or what do you describe? Yeah. So quickly, I mm -hmm. will automatically say, right, we can have as many support players on the team as possible. Mm -hmm. Right. So if that means that you want a mentor, you want, you know, a life coach, you want a career coach, you want a therapist, right? You want a counselor. You can have all of those things. Life coaching really is about the present, right? How do we tackle what's going on in the moment to help you continue to live your best life, right? And so I love that term, best life, because that is whatever it means to you, right? Mm -hmm. We all get to decide and define what it means to live our best life. And so for me, I always say, right, with coaching, and we talked about celebration last night, you can coach around anything, right? It could be the good, the bad, the ugly. It could be <laughs> something amazing, um, and so oftentimes my clients will come and they're on a weekly schedule because they're like, it's just so important to stay linked in to this support, right? Because it gives me something different than my therapist might give me. It gives me something different than my mentor might give me. And so really the pitch is why not try it, right? What do you have to lose, right? That's and right. if you don't like it, then fine, right? Um, I'm not attached, right? One of the skills. But, <laughs> you know, my pitch is why not have a coach? Right. Why not see what you can get from this experience? And, you know, oftentimes folks take that as a, a nice nudge and challenge. Right. They're like, well, I guess you're right. Why not? What do I have to lose? Um, and so that is the beginning of how I work my evil plan to get them to love coaching. Right. Because then you get to experience it and then you're like, oh, maybe this is different. I've had 30 minute sessions where folks will come in for the first time and they're like, I don't know what to expect, but I don't know what we're going to be able to do in 30 minutes. Right. Mm -hmm. And at minute 20, they're like, Whoa. Right. So I'm like, just try it. Why not? Yeah. yeah. I, I love that idea. And I hope the audience really heard that piece Anton about being in the present 
right? Mm-hmm. Because that really, when we, I've been having sort of intro sessions with new clients and talking about sort of advisor, mentor, therapist, coach. And mm-hmm. I love that you nailed that present piece. Because even if we're speaking of, you know, things that happened that were great a couple of weeks ago, we are, we're always saying, well, in this moment, mm-hmm. right? Like what's the impact? And so I hope yeah. people are hearing that as, as really a, a way to discern mm-hmm. um, the coaching skills. So I was glad that you brought that up. Yes. So, so you sort, you, you alluded to how, you know, who you are as a coach, but I, I mean, I feel like this is such a coaching question. So just um, <laughs> give me some grace, Anton, but I'm just wondering, how do you show up as a coach? Like, again, for new people who are new to this sort of idea and this profession, what does it look like when you show up as a coach? Yeah. Yeah. So there's some standard things that we do in coaching, right? So when I show up as a coach, um, we definitely design the relationship, right? And that's us both setting the expectations, the boundaries, the limits of how we want to be together, right? Um, so that we don't have a oops or aha moment where we're like, whoa, One of the things, for example, that I design with my clients is how we want to use language, right? So some clients are like big curses, like profanity here and there, and that's how they express. Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with that. Um, However, if I slip and say something that maybe the client doesn't like or is taken aback by, then I never want to do that. So I design in almost always, right? How do we want to design how we use language in our space, right? And so um, clients oftentimes will say, well, I curse, so I don't care if you curse, right? And so, you know, that's just something small, but we don't think about it, right? Because it might uh, it may slip out and then it's like, oops, right? Um, especially mm-hmm. if a client is very spiritual, religious, religious, and you don't want to offend anyone. So um, we definitely design a relationship just so we know how we want to be and how we're going to support each other. And for me as a coach, it's not about giving advice, right? We know that the clients have so much wisdom to give themselves. And sometimes it's just those powerful questions, right? Those short, what questions that help them to get the ball rolling into thinking about where they want to be, the what's next, what's coming up for them in this moment. And so for me as a coach, um, my style is really to show up with all of my skills and to be non-attached. I think that's what we'll talk about a little later in terms of one of my favorite coaching skills, right? Um, But to be non-attached is so important. And for me, what that means is I can show up, I can help my client, but I don't have to get in the way. I don't have to make assumptions about connections. I don't have to guide them anywhere, right? They are the expert of their own experiences. And that is what I remember as I'm coaching, right? Even with all of the credentials, all of the skills, um, by the way, um, my coaching has been the most impactful of all of my degrees. Um, But even with all of my coaching and the skills and experience, my clients are the experts of their own experiences, right? And so that's how I show up as a coach. And that's what I always want to remember. It doesn't matter what I know because the client always knows more than I do about who they are. Yeah, that's I love this as we're going through this this conversation, Anton, you're like dropping these really important <laughs> breadcrumbs. We've talked about presence mm-hmm. and now we're talking about being unattached. Right. Mm-hmm. And how um, ugh, that's awesome, how important, important that is as a coach. And, and really, again, a way to discern between being an advisor, mentor, because oftentimes in a, as an advisor, I mean, I advise students all the time and I come, you know, with agenda sort of loosely mm-hmm. defined and that's very mm-hmm. different than coaching. Um, so yeah, yeah so I, I love that. I wonder, cause 
I know that you, unlike some other folks that I interviewed, um, you know, you do have, I don't know if it's a side, what, how you decide, how you describe it, but it's like, you do formal coaching. Like you mm-hmm. have coaching clients mm-hmm. and you teach. And yes. I would imagine that you show up coach-like in your teaching. And so can you just tell us a little bit more about what it looks like when Anton's a coach-like in a classroom versus Anton being coach-like in a formal coaching session? Yeah, yeah, that's so good. So one of the things, and I'm going to go back to our um, coaching model at ACC, right? When you are using your intuition, when you are expanding your whole self and your client, when you are giving all those different perspectives, when you are non-attached, and when you have permission to coach is when you know that I am full-on coach Anton, right? Um, And yes, that really means, do I have permission to coach, right? So I'm not trying to sneak behind your back and coach you. You have agreed to coaching. I have agreed to be your coach. Oftentimes, there's some formal agreement, whether that's a yes, a verbal formal agreement or contract. Um, So that is me showing up as a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, In the classroom, I still do some of those things, right? If my intuition is like, ooh, something doesn't feel right, I use my intuition, right? I design at the beginning of every semester, setting the norms and expectations of our learning environment. So I design with all of my students at the beginning of the semester about how we want to be and Mm -hmm. what's the expectations for everyone in our learning circle. Um, However, the difference between what I do in the classroom and what I do in formal coaching is that I am showing up coach-like with using the skills, but that is gonna be in order to support the students in the course and to create this learning environment where everyone feels included, right? And Mm -hmm. so it may look a little more like what traditionally I think in our program you would see in terms of group coaching, right? So I'm throwing out questions to get them to going, but it's around the content, right? It's not necessarily coaching to learn coaching. It's around the content. So I'm still using my what questions. I'm still being Mm -hmm. non-attached and I'm actively listening. I think a lot of times as teachers or as faculty members, we forget to do the pause, right? So we'll ask a question. And if we hear crickets for two seconds, we're automatically filling in the space, right? We're answering our own question. Um, And what I've learned is that sometimes students need extra time to process, right? And so us as the expert, I'm doing air quotes, right? Us as the expert in the field, these things come naturally to us, right? Our content, our discipline. And so when you've been teaching for so long, of course, right, it's natural. Um, For students who are learning the content the first time, I have to go back to when I was learning the content the first time, right? And so, no, I wasn't able to shoot off an answer after my faculty member asked me one second later. Right. Um, And so for me, a big part of how I show up coach like is really providing the space for students to process. Right. And I think about in a coaching session, if I was to ask a question and the client needed time to process. Right. But then I went and started answering the question for them. That's not coaching. Right. That's not coaching. And so I think about it the same way with teaching. I use those skills from coaching. That's not necessarily effective teaching for me if I'm constantly interrupting their thought process um, or filling in the blank for them, right? Sometimes they need the moment to fill in the blank. And sometimes with my courses, there is no one right answer, right? And so it doesn't do me any justice or the course if I don't get to hear the multiple 
responses that can arise from whatever the question was. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a little bit about what the difference is between that formal coaching and then me showing up coach-like. Yeah, I love that. And again, we've gone from presence, unattachment, and now listening, right? You're really, mm-hmm. you're doing this great, Anton. I love <laughs> you're like dropping these in for, for folks. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting because I, as my audience knows, and you and I have talked about, I'm also a faculty member and I feel like the listening and creating space has been so impactful um, because you're right. We don't, we forget, like, you know, it's obvious in coaching that we're supposed to do that, but like with our own students, we don't. I also wonder, Anton, what's been your experience? Because I think the thing that I have found challenging is you know, yes, faculty members are often trained or most of the time, probably all the time trained as experts, right? And that's Mm. sort of what we are. We're experts. We take up space. We talk a lot. Mm. And our students also expect that. (laughs) So I'm wondering, you know, when we, we sort of build this model where we're doing the talking and they're doing the listening, like what's the impact on your students when you hold space for them? Yeah. Oh, that is such a great question. Um, so for me, now that I'm thinking about it, it doesn't give the student the space to grow into the scholar that we expect them to be, right? And so with me and teaching English courses, um, yes, we want the students to listen to all of the wisdom that we have to share. But for me, it is a part of, okay, now how are you making this your own? How are you using this? Because whether it's the developmental English course or English 101, right? You're going to another English course most likely, right? So English 102, or if you were in developmental, you're going to English 101. And we expect that now you are growing into this academic scholar. However, we haven't given you the really the space to do that, right? Outside of okay, you write this paper, you write the research paper, and then I'm going to mark it up and I'm going to give you feedback. And along the way, I'm going to scaffold and give you some direction for where you should go. Um, But oftentimes we don't have enough verbal time in order to really talk things through. Um, And so when I spend too much time taking up space for students, they don't get the practical hands-on learning moments that they need in order to maybe sometimes make the connection a little bit faster, right? It's not until maybe after the semester that they're making connections that they could have made during the semester if they would have been able to have the space to talk it through or to do, right? So a lot of times I think we also, as faculty, we take up space with talking and then we don't give uh, students the opportunity to do, right? So it's one thing to tell you, but now let me actually see you do it, right? A few times before I'm going to grade you formally on whatever it is. Yeah, that's, ooh, there's so much in there. And and on, we could have like a whole podcast on higher ed faculty and coach showing up coach. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's so much irony in, you know, what you just said, because as you know, you know, the academy does want you to find your voice, and yet we don't offer space to find your voice. We, mm-hmm. we give you sort of formulas and how to do lit reviews and how to do this instead of um, making space for whatever, you know, makes sense for you and to grow into that. So mm, I love that. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So if students or individuals aren't lucky enough to find these courses or take you as a, you know, a professor and see you show up coach like um, but they're interested in coaching. 
if you were sort of giving some tips, you know, so let's say they, they found a coach, you know, through their network and they're having a 15 or 30 minute session with that person. How do they know Anton, if this is the right person for them? What, what, what should they be asking? What should they be thinking about? Mm, Yeah. Um, One, I would say to remember that this is still a relationship, right? And so I would encourage potential clients to think about what do you want out of this relationship? So going into it, you're able to articulate. These are the things that I need because then your coach will be able to one, be honest about, okay, maybe that's not what I can help with, or that's not the kind of coaching that I do. Mm -hmm. And so they can refer out. So you don't want to um, spend time in a place that's not going to be serving you or supportive. So as a client, Um, And even I do this, right? I create my list of like the wish list, right? So in a coach, and I do this with, you know, medical professionals too, right? In a doctor, right? In a therapist, these are the things that maybe I want to work on, but also the expectations that I have for the person that's going to be serving in this role. And so from the beginning, I can say, right, these are some of the things that are important to me about having a collaboration with a coach, a mentor, a therapist. Um, and then that's so that's me kind of prepping to design the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to hire someone and then it's not what I expected, right? We've been there in terms of anything, just any service, right? You pay your money and then you don't get exactly what you were expecting. And so then, you know, you get pissed off and it's just not a good experience. And yeah. so yeah. Um, <laughs> I always say, make sure you know sort of what you're looking for, right? And sometimes we don't know exactly what we need. So I'm not saying make sure you know what you need, but make sure you know what you are looking for, loosely at least, so that you can communicate, hey, these are some of the deal breakers, if you will, for, you know, what I need from this relationship. And if these things aren't honored, then maybe this is not the best relationship. And that's okay too, right? To say, all right, maybe this is not. Um, I almost think about it as when I was buying my house, right? I had some things that were non-negotiables, right? So there was a checklist. If the home didn't have these things, don't even show it to me, right? And that was my filter. So same thing, if you're looking online or if you run into someone, you have some of those kind of check the box things that you're looking for um, to filter out so that you don't spend a lot of time um, feeling like it, it was a waste of time. Yeah, that's that's really good. I love that you focused on the relationship side of it. I feel like even if you don't even if even if your intuition is sort of telling you maybe it's a good time for a coach, but you don't know why. Right. Like we show up for these sessions. And I mean, I don't know about you, Anton, but sometimes things come up that I had no idea were going to come up. Right. And so even if you don't have that piece figured out, we've all had good and bad relationships. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. we can start from a place of familiarity in terms of thinking about that. Um, Yeah. And I, I it's so funny. I don't know what your experience was with your um, doctor and Anton, but students, the, the question I get all the time when it, when it comes time to sort of find an advisor is what's Mm -hmm. the criteria, you know, what, where's the (laughs) expert. And, and what I often say to the students, Anton is, relationship matters as much as the expertise. We can find you an expert, but we can't, you know, you need to help us find you someone with whom you connect. Do you need a cheerleader? Do you need someone Mm -hmm. to push you? Do you need someone who asks you hard questions? What do you need in a relationship? And Mm -hmm. you're right. Coaching is the same way, like the relationship. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I appreciate that reminder. 
Yeah. Um, I'm going to get to the favorite coaching skills because I want to hear more of this, like um, the, about yours. Um, but I'm wondering, I wanted to circle back. When do you think it's a good time to get a coach? Mm. Ooh, always is my first answer, right? If I'm checking with my intuition, my intuition is like always. Um, and really for me, what that means is you don't have to be going through a hard time to have a coach, right? I think a lot of times there is this um, stereotype around, right? You're going through something or you need a, like an extra push, or right? And oftentimes our style of coaching is not necessarily the extra push that maybe some folks see on TV, right? It's, it's not usually that dramatic is what I'll say, <laughs> but it is very impactful. So that's the difference, right? I mean, I think about, yes, Sometimes if I'm thinking about my stretch more, please, right? If I'm pulling out a different skill that is not usually how I show up, sometimes it is the extra push that my clients need. And oftentimes it really is showing up like we talked about using all of those skills, having the permission to coach. Um, and what I found is when working with a coach, you don't even have to have a topic if you don't want, right? So I think a lot of times clients get stuck in this well, I don't have anything negative going on. I don't even know if I have anything to talk about, right? And so I don't need a coach. Um, and we have so many skills as coaches that we can do an activity if you want. Something will come from you just even showing up and saying, you know what, I don't have anything to talk about today, right? What's it feel like to not have any worries, right? Will be my first question. Um, and so then we can coach from that point, right? So I always say, Again, what's the harm in having a coach? But two, any time is a good time to find a coach because, again, you can be coaching around any topic you want and it could be good, it could be awesome, it could be just okay, right? So any topic you bring can be coached. And so any time is a good time to have a different perspective. Um, a lot of my clients, they show up and they say, one of the things that was so important for me in this session was that I had someone who didn't have a stake in the game, who was not a family or friend, and who could just really ask me questions that of genuine concern to help me process. Yes, all of that. Yes to all of what you just said. Um, yeah, I and I can and I can attest to what Anton said about not showing up with topics and still having plenty to talk about because I think in the coaching sessions I did either with my, my uh, classmates or Anton and Jen, sometimes they would just ask a question. I remember one time Anton asked me, what am I celebrating today? Right. Mm -hmm. Which is a favorite. And then it just went on into these really cool conversations. Um, yeah. I've also found Anton that sometimes um, clients just need space to process something. Um, and that, you know, and that's enough for a 30 minute <laughs> coaching session. And I, you know, as a newer coach, I sometimes would worry. I'm like, oh, I didn't accomplish anything. And then it's not about me. Right. They they got what they <laughs> needed out of that session. So, um, again, creating space. And I love the idea of seeking a coach whenever and always that mm -hmm. um, it's yeah. I want the audience to really understand that coaching isn't just here for what you perceive as a difficult or challenging moment or time. It's, it's here just to be with you on this journey, yeah. whatever that looks like. So I appreciate that reminder. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So I want to hear more about this, your favorite coaching skill. Jen had trouble narrowing it down to one. So you have the freedom <laughs> to pick more than one if you like. So, <laughs> okay. Of course she had trouble narrowing it down to one. She created them. <laughs> I will say 
One of my favorites really is the skill of non-attachment. And what that means for me is that I don't have to be attached to outcomes. I don't have to be attached to the direction of the coaching session. I also don't have to be attached to holding on to whatever my client's journey is after we finish the session, right? And for me, that's so important. I do have a bachelor's in psychology and I intentionally decided that I did not want to get a master's in psychology because I didn't want to be a therapist. I do believe in therapy. I didn't want to be a therapist, right? Um, And so for me, the rummaging and digging in the past and and making connections wasn't what I wanted to do. And that very much was my training, right? So I'm not saying that's all um, psychology programs, but that was my training when I went through school. And it just weighed on me so heavy. Um, and so at 21, I had already made a decision. I am not getting a master's degree in psychology because that just wasn't my journey and wasn't my destiny. Um, and so with coaching, I can show up. I can do whatever my client needs for me to be in service to them. And when the coaching call is finished, it's finished, right? I don't have to carry that baggage, that weight around with me. Um, the other part is I tell my clients up front, I don't take notes. So If there's some things in the session and you want to take notes, you can take notes, but I don't. That's another way of me being non-attached, right? It's not that I don't care about my clients, but it is that I need to make sure that I'm taking care of myself in order to show up as my best self for them, right? And for me, taking notes after or sending and things like that, it's a lot. um, And it's not necessarily things that will honor my core values, right? And so for me, I don't have to be attached to taking notes and sending out a report to the clients. They know what they're getting when they sign up with me, right? And I make that very clear. So all of them know. Um, So I'm not attached to, right, this one idea of what coaching is, but I'm also not attached to the problems that my clients bring, right? So for me, I coach the person and not the problem, right? And so if I can coach my client and give them the skills they need, the next time they have a similar situation, they can pull on those skills that they've already learned instead of being stuck or being, you know, just in this moment of, I don't know where to go. Um, So for me, that's why the non-attachment is so great. Um, And again, I can have, you know, three sessions back to back that are really heavy and then I can go and have dinner, right? I don't have to be exhausted or drained because I'm holding on to something that, is not my weight to carry. Mm, that's amazing. So that's why you and Jen always say, don't work too hard as coaches, right? Mm-hmm. To show up and listen and pay attention. So I'm curious, Anton, how have you seen unattachment, that skill? How have you seen it show up in different areas of your either personal or professional life outside of coaching? Yeah, yeah. Such a great one. Such a great question. Um, One of the things, excuse me, is in the classroom, Mm -hmm. right? So as faculty, again, going back to this idea of we're the expert, we have the knowledge and we're supposed to give it to the students. There will be times where um, I am thinking about the answer that I want from the students and that answer doesn't come up and maybe ever right? And usually it's not the first answer anyway. Um, And before, it wasn't that I would shut students down, but it just wasn't the direction I was going in. And I maybe wasn't as open to exploring a different direction. Um, And so now what I've learned is that, you know, I can still have that direction of where I want to go in my head, but a student may say something and I'm like, ooh, 
in coaching, we call that a breadcrumb because maybe that wasn't where I was going, but I don't need to force them into my way of thinking because them making their own connections deepens the learning for them, right? So my connection might not make sense or it may not resonate with them at all. So me trying to force them to see it from my perspective, maybe it's not helpful in helping them to learn the content. So one of the things that now I'll do is I'll say, oh, that's interesting. That wasn't where I was going. We can come back to where I was going, but tell me a little more about this thing, right? So I don't have to be like, no, because oftentimes what they say adds value to the conversation. But if I shut it down before they even get to say it, I never know what they're going to say. And then the, the class, the learning environment doesn't get to hear or experience that either. Um, so that's one of the ways that it shows up. I'll also tell you, I'm from Maryland and my family, we're big seafood people, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I'm the cooker. So folks will come over and we'll just have a great time. Um, and usually we'll steam seafood and things like that. I have a seasoning and a process to how I do my crabs. And this particular gathering, the family wanted to help, right? They, because the crabs were alive and they were playing with them. It's so fine. But I have a particular way which I put them in the pot and then I season. I put more in the pot and then I season, right? And that's just the way. And that's always how I do it. And it's perfect for me. And everybody's like, oh, this is really good. This time, everybody wanted to help put it in the pot. And I'm like, <laughs> you're messing it up. Like, it's not exactly how I do it. It's not going to turn out right. And so I was really flustered about the situation before I kind of acted. And then I said, wait a minute. I thought to myself, what is important about the way that you do it in this moment, right? And are you missing the bigger picture? The bigger picture was everyone was having fun. So why should I go in and ruin this fun moment? Because it wasn't the seasoning, right? It sounds so ridiculous, but I was pissed about it. The seasoning was not the way that I would do it. So I, I let go and I was like, you know what? Do not ruin this moment of, you know, you getting in your own way. Um, I let them finish. Everything turned out perfectly. So <laughs> the story or the goal, the, the lesson here is that I had to be non-attached from the process, right? Because so often I'm like, no, but this is my process. And if you don't do it my way, one, I'm going to be mad. And then two, it's not going to turn out right. We didn't do it my way and it was still great. So, you know, um, and I didn't have to ruin a moment of fun for my family with me wanting to take control of the way I wanted to do it. So that's a personal example of how non-attachment saved a whole evening. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love both of those examples. And for folks who are listening from um, either other countries or other states, um, Maryland is known for its blue crab. And I also mm -hmm. grew up in Maryland. So my, I think my um, I was salivating as I was thinking yeah. about your seasoning there, <laughs> Anton. Um, I just love that you were able to sort of self-coach and ask yourself, like, what what is it about the situation? Because I, too, Anton, have found recently when I go to a meeting or if I have like a reaction to something, somebody said that I'm trying, I don't always do it a good, do a good job, but I try to say, what's that about for you? Mm -hmm. Like, what are you getting? So, and, and I mean, 99.9% .9 of the time, it's something with me, not mm -hmm. what, with what mm -hmm. that person said or did. And so, um, that is super, super powerful. Um, yeah. so I'm glad you brought that up. The other thing I wanted to, um, just sort of point out and really commend you for, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this. I love what you're doing in your classrooms because, mm -hmm. 
I mean, I, th- I think especially now, Anton, with so much just horrible racial injustice and just injustice for marginalized individuals, mm-hmm. that idea of unattachment really made me think, as you were describing, is really learning how to not center yourself in whatever mm-hmm. work you're doing. And, oh, I just got chills, like thinking about your classrooms. And even though there might be, you know, in some of these theory courses, and I'm sure this is true in English, mm-hmm. there is a way that students need to learn, like they yes. need to learn techniques and they need mm-hmm. to learn certain things. And it's not a but, it's an and. Mm-hmm. You can you can guide that conversation and still make space for them to, to arrive on their own journey to that information, right? And connect it, and as you said, connect with it in the way that's most relevant to them. And I just, I still have chills. I just love that you're really decentering yourself from that space. And I wish we just need to do more of that in so many areas, so. Yeah, I, you know, I, it's always a journey and it's a work in progress because I think when we go back to especially faculty um, and new faculty, especially because when I was first teaching, like we had to have all the answers, right? And we were at the front of the classroom. So the spotlight had to be on us. And, you know, if you've been through a master's or a doctoral program, right, you're the expert now. And even finishing that process, the spotlight is on you, right? You you defend a dissertation, you publish research, right? Um, and now we're seeing that there's some value to, wait, I don't have to have the spotlight on me. Yes, it is a class that I'm assigned to teach, but it's not my class, it's our class, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we create that community so that each scholar, including myself, feels not only involved in the conversation and the learning, but are able to take some risk, right? We at Anne Arundel, we think about this idea of continuous improvement. And so it's not about you did this wrong and that's it. Right. It's about what risks are you taking in order to grow into becoming a better scholar. And as a faculty member, that's the same with me. Right. I have to take risks. I have to figure out what works for my class and for me and the environment in order to continue to grow as a professional. Yeah. And this I think you're making the case right live on this podcast of why we need more coaching of faculty Mm -hmm. in higher ed, because that really is um, that's a that's a shift in mindset. Yes. not be the expert. And it's funny because we were talking about how we joke, but it's, it's legit that we d- don't work so hard as mm-hmm. a coach. Well, maybe the same should be taught to faculty that you're not going to have every lived experience of your student. You're never, I mean, I teach research methods and statistics and I tell my students every time we meet, I have research methods, textbooks on my bookshelf because I don't remember every <laughs> statistical test and that's okay. Right. And so maybe we need to make, maybe not work so hard as faculty and trust our students and guest lecturers and other resources to, to help us do that. So we, we definitely need more coaching at the doctoral level, Anton, Mm -hmm. and then in in higher ed. Um, so yeah, we got to get on that. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious. So I, I asked you about your favorite skill and it's clear to everybody who's listening. I'm sure that you and I love, love, love coaching. Yes. I am curious, though, what do you think is hard about coaching, Anton? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, let's see. I think a few things and, and I think in stages. One, what's hard about coaching is the beginning of becoming a coach. 
right? Um, especially if you have a formal training like ours, you break so many bad habits and so, and maybe not bad habits, but you break so many habits that don't fit into coaching, right? Um, for instance, as faculty, as staff, as administrators, a lot of time we're trained to problem solve, right? And so your mind goes straight to the problem solving. And in coaching, we're like, mm -mm, you are not providing advice or solving a client's problem, right? You're showing up with those what and powerful questions um, to help the client process. So that I will say is one of the hardest things that transition from problem solver to coach. <laughs> um, yes. So difficult um, because we're so trained, right? And so for so long, and then you get into your profession and you can, you are reinforced by how well you can problem solve. Um, and with our style of coaching, we're like, we don't do any problem solving. It's a part of the not working so hard. But in the beginning, I feel like you have to work hard not to work hard, right? Yes. You got to work hard at not working hard. So um, for me and my experience, that was something that I had um, to really lean into. It was hard for me at first to transition from this problem solver, Anton, to this coach, Anton. Um, I think also what is hard about clients is when you do want to be certified, right? The process sometimes can feel overwhelming when you're first starting, right? We're like coach 100 hours and, you know, new coaches are like, where am I going to find people to coach for 100 hours? So, you know, <laughs> that can be a bit difficult and hard about the coaching too. And that's not um, speaking to the skills, but it's speaking to you having opportunities to use the skills, right? So I think that becomes just a challenge, right? And we have a bunch of coaches and we can figure out like how, you know, you transition and make sure you get what you need to be certified. But starting off, it can feel overwhelming or like this major task. And it's like, okay, how do I get from zero to 100? Literally, right? Um, and so it can be hard sometimes. I think also, um, if you are wanting to do something else with the coaching, so oftentimes um, I, you know, took a stance and was like, I don't have to pick a specialty, but oftentimes coaches want to have a niche. And so that can be difficult trying to figure out like, okay, but where is it? What population what type of coaching do I want to lean more into? Um, so I think figuring out the what's next after you have your skills can be hard sometimes, right? And all of those things don't have to be as hard if we don't make them hard, right? So I think that's my lesson here. Um, a lot of times we're building up this story or this narrative that it's going to be hard. Um, and in turn, we create situations where it becomes hard because we are getting in our own way. Oh, very well said. It reminded me, Anton, I do, um, I'm a do onboarding with first year doctoral students. And when I started this work several years ago, something that I, I, said to them often and they come back to me and say it is trust the process, mm -hmm. right? It's just sort of stay in that moment and don't get so worried about an outcome or accomplishment or what's next. Mm -hmm. Just sort of stay with it and keep showing up coach-like and things sort of emerge. So I, yeah. I, I appreciate that reminder. So I always love Anton to ask my uh, guests if there's anything that they want, want, if you, anything you want to share with the audience that we didn't touch on during our conversation. So the, the time is yours. <laughs> oh, um, let's see anything else I want to share. Um, I will say, and I think that, um, it is kind of been highlighted throughout time together today. 
One of the things, and I did note, right, in terms of all of my formal training, the coach training has been the most yeah. impactful. And I still truly believe that, right? My mentors from my PhD program, probably not so happy with that statement. Um, and uh, because coaching has literally changed how I show up in the world and the impact that I could have on others, right? And so for me, it is about those small ripples that create these huge waves, Um and I think that coaching absolutely can and is doing that. Um, so for me, it has changed how I think about everything, right? And we've talked about how, you know, these skills are important in my professional space, but also in my personal space. So I think that's the nice thing about coaching. Um, and as a coach, I have a coach, right? So there's the other part that's important to this. It's not that I'm just a coach because I'm human and I go through life just like everyone else. And so I have a coach. So the nice thing for me is that I can use these skills anywhere. And I've seen the impact since becoming a coach um, on myself, but also my approach to supporting my students, my approach to supporting family and friends, it's just different. And it's a good difference. Yeah. Making steam crabs. Who would have thought? <laughs> I know, right? I know. And then I didn't have to be mad about the rest of the evening, which usually oh, I would have been. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Anton, uh, I cannot even tell you how grateful I am that you were willing to spend this hour with me. It's been it's been great to get to know you over the course of the spring and into the summer. And it's just lovely to be able to have this time concentrated Anton time. So um, so Dr. Anton Tomlin, I wanted to thank you um, for coming on. And um, for anyone who's listening Anton really gave us lots of breadcrumbs during this, this conversation. Um, when you think about coaching, we think about presence. We think yeah. about being unattached, really leaning in and listening, thinking about relationships as you think about your own coaching and, and showing up coach like for others. And so, and also remembering to trust the process and to stay um, yeah. in that moment, whatever, whatever sort of shows up. So Again, Anton, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I would love maybe maybe in the fall you'll come back and we can dig more into faculty and coaching and, and sort of I would love to explore that a little bit more with you if you're willing. So, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So many things. So many things. So many um, things. Yes. I just want to say thanks. I had an absolute ball and it's always a pleasure. So, you know, whatever you need, I am here. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everybody, this has been another episode of Tell Me This, the summer of coaching with Dr. Uh, Anton Tomlin. Thank you so much for listening and take care, everybody. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash B-E 
to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E.